Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another deep dive with Eyal Shai and I'm joined today by Tesho Akindele. Hi Tesho. Hey y'all, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. Um, what are we going to discuss today? So today I would love to talk about education and uh, specifically you know, how to educate and prepare kids for the world, I guess, at large. So it's kind of a big topic, but something I've been thinking a lot about, you know, recently over the past few years, and I'm just really excited to, to discuss it more. Yeah, and I'll be happy to. I know we're both invested in it, having little children back at home. And so if we do something for our uh, dearest uh, people, then it'll be good. So how do you want to start? Um, I want to ask you something uh, let's start with something emotional in terms of your feeling about your education and you can take it any place you like. It could be the formal education or it could be the education at home. Um, how do you feel about your own education? How would you um, describe it emotionally? Yeah, I would, I would say, um, I would say just growing up, I was always, a good student. Like I always got great grades in school and I never really thought too much about it. I didn't, I wasn't too interested in school, but I did, I didn't hate it by any means because I was doing well. And, um, there, it, it got to a point in my last year of high school that I was, I was supposed to take a higher level calculus class than my school offered. So they told me they were going to send me to a community college and I was supposed to take a physics class that was really high level and all of this was to prepare me. I knew I was going to go to engineering school. So it was going to prepare me for that. And, and then the school just backed out on it. They didn't allow me to take the math class. Uh, the, the partnership with the community college fell through. They didn't allow me to take the physics class because no, nobody else at the school wanted to. And then I was stuck. So I would say until that point in my life, I never, I never thought about education much at all. And then that's when I had a, a realization of like, okay, what am I, what am I being prepared for here? You know, what, what was the purpose of this? What am I, what am I doing right now? And so I would say that that was kind of an awakening moment for me. And until then, to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really have any emotions attached to it at all. I was just kind of, kind of floating through, floating through it, going with the flow um, until that moment that I felt the system really let me down a bit. Yeah, I can see that happening. What about um, the actual spending days in school in terms of the kind of environment that it is in terms of uh, society or the so the friends you were with and so on? Is that something that strikes you as something we could um, improve? Yeah, I think, I guess a great lesson I learned is Honestly, growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of kids who did pretty poorly in school. Um, and 
what I, and I did well, like I said, and I think the main driver of that was just accountability from my parents. You know, I would go home and if I, if I had bad grades, my parents would ask like, what's going on. And, you know, I'd go to my friend's house and if they had, you know, all failing grades on their report cards, their parents didn't care. Or if the school called and said, you know, your kid missed three classes today, their parents didn't care. So yeah, that, that is something that I noticed. And, um, a lot of times people talk about peer pressure, but I, I mean, my peer pressure was very, I would say very negative in that sense, but my parents' um, accountability kind of overcame that, which I think was an interesting um, lesson for me to learn, just that you can be in maybe a difficult environment as long as you have a few people who really care and keep you accountable, it can, it can make all the difference. Yes, absolutely. It's so I guess this conversation is very likely to kind of at least in the beginning oscillate between formal education and the education we get from um, people who serve as models and teachers in our homes and, and communities. Um, you started with the formal education system. How was the experience? What was your experience in college like? Is it different in any way? Uh, did you feel different because it was something that you then uh, chose to do and, and weren't uh, mandated to do? Yeah, I think it wasn't too different for me. Um, like I said, I, was, I went to an engineering school for a few years. And um, just because I was always good at math and science, I figured that was the next step. I go to this school, I got a job that pays well. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't really like anything I was learning about, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions, just getting by. I, and then I ended up leaving school early, um, to start working. And it wasn't until I came back, I decided to finish my degree kind of in my free time. And that's when I really got the love of learning. That's when I was like, cause I was really, really making a choice at that point. You know, for me going to university was almost the next step, but it wasn't until I, I went away and came back. That I, that I really kind of shifted my own mentality um, on, you know, doing it because I wanted to do it versus just, it's just what you do, you know? And I, I was much more conscious about what I was doing. What was, what was I thinking? What was I learning? Nice. So this is about uh, what age? 23, 24, something like yeah, that? About, yeah, about 23. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's almost uncanny. It's, it's very similar for, for me, um, except I was a terrible student at school. And I had to suffer all these talks at the counselor's office where they tell me, you have potential, you have potential. And my mind just wasn't there throughout my teenage years. I also hated writing because uh, my hand can't keep up with my mind. So I was always bad at that and did, um, did perfectly well at school as long as it was stuff that you could just re remember and was interesting to me. But you know, around eighth or ninth grade, when you actually have to just write things down and later on just memorize it and vomit it out again. That's why I started failing and I did very poorly and I didn't even finish. I didn't technically, I wasn't um, eligible for a GD even. But in Israel, of course, we have to go to the army, which is very different. And I did not have motivation to go to the army either because I... I learned to hate these systems that where you just have to do the thing, right? Just like you're saying. Um, but I did finish my army service, even though I tried to get out. Um, but I kind of encountered the famous catch 22 problem, except in real life. And then at 23, I also 
um, I had a chapter where I lived in Georgia in the US. And then when I was done with that, I also came back at, I think, 23 and a half. And I also, much like you chose to do it. And, you know, so actually earning a degree was not hard for me. That was easy. And that raises an interesting question, right? The one about um, uh, voluntary engagement, let's call it, or um, something like that. And I'd like you to take it wherever you see fitting and now thinking about reflecting on yourself or starting to think about the future now, like what could be done to um, encourage more uh, active learning? Yeah, I think, I think it, like we said, with children, we both have young children. And if you look at kids, they're all just naturally very curious about the world, um, always trying to learn. And by the time you get older, a lot of people like that's almost been taken away from them. I think a lot of people lose that learning mentality. So I think, I think it's definitely very important to, to foster that from the time we're kids. But the problem is you don't, I, I think you also don't want to overdo it. You know, even with your kids, like, of course you want to let them be free and learn what they want to learn, but there, there still has to be some structure. So I'm not sure exactly where the balance is between like fostering that natural um, love of learning, but also being able to structure it somehow, because you still do need to say, interact with other people, interact in the society in a way that, because to be successful, you have to, you kind of have to follow some rules, you know? So um, there's, there's a balance there between opting in. Like we talked about, we all love when we get to choose what we want to learn, you know, but if you, it can only go so far. There's, there's sometimes when you, you have to learn, even if it's basic reading, basic writing, basic math, like you kind of have to learn those things. And, um, but maybe after you have those, those foundations, you can give, you can give people a little bit more freedom and really encourage them to, to dive into what they're interested in. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot about that. And our daughter is still being homeschooled at uh, three, a little over three now. And I'm kind of dreading the moment where we have to decide whether to send her um, to the system legally. I mean, we could, we could uh, prepare the papers and everything to ask for, for homeschooling. Um, Yeah. It's, a really interesting question of how you balance these two things. The hardest part I think has been for us is socialization. Like you say, you want the child to be in society. But my question is to you is like, do you feel that schools are a place where does that count as being in society? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I guess, you know, I guess being in society is going to school puts you when you're a kid around a lot of other kids. You know, if, if you were a, a kid that's only around other adults all day, every day, maybe you could become very, you know, book smart, but I think that you would lose, you would lose something. I'm not sure exactly what it is. So I think there definitely is a place. I'm not sure if the formal school is exactly the way, but there is definitely a need to be surrounded by kids your age growing up. And, 
but it's possible that maybe that should be separated from the act of uh, the act of like learning math and, and learning English class, you know, like maybe that should just be explicitly like, hey, this is socialization time, you know, and you just learn to cooperate with people and you play games and you, you know, you, you do whatever kids kids do. And then you go to another environment where it's strictly about uh, strictly about you know, formal education. So maybe the fact that we have those two things linked might be, might be a mistake. I don't know, but I think there is for sure a place for, uh, that's needed for other, for kids to interact with other kids to, to learn. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm also on top of just having all these thoughts. I was like, honestly, our daughter is very, uh, different in a good way. I like to think, but She's like very clearly gifted from a young age. And um, so on top of everything, you know, you never know, you realize that whatever rule of thumb there is for um, normal children might not apply to her. So this like adds to the confusion. But I think that now, especially with COVID here in Israel, at least, there are a lot more people that have decided to take their kids away from the away from the uh, systems just because they even if it's for prosaic reasons like they realize they're going to spend a lot of time in quarantine and they don't want to do that so they're basically taking a year off to be with other children and i'm happy that we found a kind of community where we can go to a few times a week and see that and honestly i feel that once we found that community that was the last uh, nail in the coffin of the idea of sending her to a normal uh, place. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that because you're you know you're getting the socialization part through your you know self made community, but then you're also able to you know take take control of the education part in a way you want to. One thing that's interesting is uh, when when COVID happened. I know there's a few you know kids who live around me and some of the parents decided to pull their kids out of daycare um, kind of indefinitely. And so there was a few kids who say from age, I don't know, like one to two, they didn't see any kids ever. And I, I thought that that was, it was not the greatest for their development. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, and because there was not those self-made communities, like you were talking about, people weren't really, comfortable going over to other people's houses even. So they completely missed that. So I think that was a extreme example of going all the way in the other direction, but it seems like what you, what you found is a, is a cool middle ground where you, you do get the socialization and then you get hands-on um, experience. What I wonder though, with that is, is that, is that reasonable to hope that everybody can do, you know, it does, every, does every parent really have the time and energy to be able to, to teach their kid, um, you know, all the, all the reading and writing that they need to learn about and also bring them to social activities or just because so many people need to work that needs to be pawned off into some sort of system, you know? Right. I mean, this is such a fitting question. And, and of course it takes us out of the frame of just education and looking at society and, you know, uh, economics and, what what kind of values our societies have no of course it's not i mean we 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 know we're not there right so many people have to work their second job even to just make ends meet 
that it's probably reserved for a certain level of, of privilege uh, among people, which sucks, uh, honestly. Um, and privilege is really interesting because then you say, what should, should the people who are able to do this, are, are they not to do this because uh, they have to show solidarity or something like that? And I, I don't think that's quite the, the route to go down um, through because historically the very privileged people like uh, Plato and Charles Darwin and you know other other people who have were, were doing okay were belonging to a social class that were that allowed them to have the time to do what they loved these are some of the people that helped us make a lot of progress so had they faced some sort of social um maxim or social attitude that would have told them you know just be a laborer just like everyone else i don't think that's what we want but uh what do you think could be done to to inch closer into that kind of utopic future my my first thought when i hear that is you know maybe we've solved education for the the privileged few in society you know like we understand that if a kid is given a lot of individual attention and they're encouraged to pursue their individual needs, like they'll thrive. You know, and you're able to do that if you have the resources and time to do that. So maybe we have solved it, you know, at the at the top end of the scale. So the question then becomes how do we how do we get that to everybody? How do we get that sort of system to the masses? And I think I think that's where we're failing because. And I think that the schools are facing a really hard problem that you have so many different students with so many different um, different interests, different needs, different levels of comprehension. And how, how do you systematize that and give them, you know, the individual learning and, and time? Because it's unrealistic to say every student should be given one teacher to, you know, hold their hand and and do one on one experiments with them. It's not really possible. So I'm wondering what's what's the gap between where we are now and kind of the the solved problem that we have at the at the upper end of things. I'm not sure. Yeah, and and I don't know if it's if it's exactly solved because one on one may also not be the perfect thing. You know, what I'm imagining is something um, something along the lines of what Plato did. He didn't teach young children, probably. We don't know exactly what happened in his house uh, by the academy, but uh, we do know that the word uh, synesia, being together, is is thrown around in relation to what happened there. So he may not have even given lectures to people, but it was more of a space of being together. You know, and when I imagine that, I imagine a tribe, right? So you have a number of adults and Sometimes you don't need that one-on-one focused interaction because a lot of us also learn by observing. But to observe, you need to have real human behavior to observe. And that's my problem both with, like you, you mentioned, both the extreme of homeschooling where you don't get to see anybody else, um, but also schools, which um, to a large degree you know, to be kind of provocative, but they're almost like prisons. It's like you have the 
the times where you are allowed to do things and the time where you're not allowed to do things. There are sort of guards. You have to go through the uh, whatever the curriculum is, uh, but there is it's not real human interaction. And I think that's also what we see is that you mentioned in the beginning where you don't get prepared for life. And I think that is true for, for, for yeah, that's very true. Yeah, uh, it, it, it is. It's, it's very interesting. I, I think that you're right that um, getting, to get, getting together is helpful with the one, I don't know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure where to take it next because I, I think that there's just so many, there's so many layers to it that are all that are all kind of confusing, um, bumbled up and jumbled up into each other. Yeah. What, what do you think about like if we take it on a more personal level at uh, relationship between parents and, and children? Just now speaking about the, the theory now, uh, what have, what are some of the attitudes that you have arrived at and some of the methods that you may be employing uh, that you think are optimal for, uh, as we said, raising decent human beings? Yeah, I think one thing is just to encourage um, encourage your kids when they're curious, you know? So one rule I kind of have for myself is, if my kid wants me to do something, I'm, I'm just going to do it. You know, if, if he wants me to get in the dirt with him, I'm, I'm going to do it. If he wants me to jump in the water with him or play in the rain with him, I'm going to do it. So I think that encourages them and it, it, it shows them that you love them and you're, you know, you're there to support them on their journey. Um, that, that's been, that's been a, a really major key for me, I think, um, in the development. Uh, another thing I guess is also schedules though. We do, we do try to keep schedules. Of course, there's some flexibility, but I think having some structure to the day is also helpful for the parents and for the kids to understand, you know, what to expect. We don't have like hourly schedules, but we have a general, you know, we go to bed at this time, we take a nap at this time, we eat breakfast right before our, our nap or right before uh, we eat lunch right before our nap. So I think having a general schedule is, is also helpful because um, it can just help everybody know what to expect, which I think for kids sometimes when they don't, when they don't know what to expect, things can get overwhelming. So I think that's been another helpful thing. Uh, what about, what about you guys in your life? Yeah. So definitely, I think that the, the regularity of things is important. Uh, but we, we don't do it with, like you say, we don't look at the watch exactly, but it's just what comes natural to us. We do, and we kind of keep the same. Um, most of our days look quite similar, even though we don't have to, right? So we're both uh, working from home and we don't have to be a certain time anywhere but it it does help to to have that i will say though and it's not just that the, this regularity helps in terms of what comes after what but i also have a point in our lives to make about how it shouldn't be about looking at the watch and um i think i was um given this idea by uh nat sharp who is uh, my friend on twitter and he hosted an inter-intellect salon on homeschooling or unschooling. And 
you know, he and his wife, Martha, have thought about it and realized that the time when we send children to bed is usually a time that is good for us because we still want to have the time after they go to sleep to ourselves. Um, but actually, a lot of tension is is rising from that insistence on some sort of quite arbitrary um, schedule that may may or may not correspond with how the child is feeling on that day. So I think having at least some sort of flexibility where it's between here and now is a good time to sleep, that's much better than setting it at 8 or 8.30 or whatever. And also having the regularity of the day means that you get into a habit of expending some amount of energy that you know that is healthy and that allows the child and you to in the end of the day be ready for sleep rather than stay up very late or something like that yeah uh, i think the point that you made about a lot of times putting the kids to bed is almost an exciting moment for the parents and bad for the kids is, is so powerful and i think it points to something larger and this also ties into education is that we a lot of times maybe just we don't let kids participate in the real world you know we like after the kids go to bed, that's when we have the real conversations. You know, that's when we watch the TV shows. That's when, or maybe we call a babysitter and that's when we go out to the city. You know, so a lot of times we don't let kids participate in the world. We just, you know, train them for the world in, in the school and tell them that oh, this will get you ready for the world. But actually like doing is the best way to learn. So maybe that maybe that's a, a very strong point is just, to try to involve your kids in, in more serious things, you know, involve your kids in more serious or what we would consider adult conversations or make sure to bring your kids to different places. Um, if you, if you're traveling, like make sure to travel with your kids and don't, you don't need to just travel to Disney world, you know, give them the real travel experiences or give them, yeah, just give them more of like what it actually is to live. Tell them about what you're dealing with in your job. Maybe it's the, the interpersonal relationships or questions you have just involve them in the real world stuff instead of just, you know, okay, kid time is over. You're going to sleep. And now, now it's adult time where we do the real things. I think that was, a, that was a really good point you brought up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, it doesn't end there. Like for me, for me with my daughter, I see it with things. Usually we think about all the theoretical studies that we go through in school if it's math if it's uh grammar if it's all these things but uh just being around the house um i see her elated when she's able to help my wife bake something cook something when she helps me water the plants you know these are things that are just not happening if if your kid comes back now it's winter time and kids around here get out of their uh, out of childcare or classes, uh, right as it, it right as it gets dark, basically. So they don't spend any meaningful time with their parents outside. And so your point about involving them in life is definitely so so important. And I, I really I see its its benefit with with the children that they know that are unschooled or or homeschooled. And by going outside and spending time together in nature and taking these walks, even just going to the grocery store together, right? 
for most children, going to the grocery store is uh, just for the popsicle or whatever in the afternoon. It's like, and yeah, just give so many chances to talk about things um, along the way too, and just be more present. So I, I definitely see utility and benefit in, in having the child live with you. Yeah, I think even your your example of the grocery store, you know, a lot of times we'll take the kid to the grocery store and it's like you said, okay, if you're good the entire time, I'll get you a, a candy bar on the way out, you know, but instead you could sit down with your kid and say, before you go and say, what meals should we eat this week? Okay, we want to eat these meals, then this is the recipes and this is the what we need to get from the grocery store. And this is how much everything costs. You know, it, it's like, 30 different lessons in one. You learn about planning, you learn about organization, you learn about money skills. All together, you learn about the strategy of getting through the store efficiently. You learn even just how to orient yourself in a grocery store. You know, you learn to pay attention to where things are um, instead of instead of just the kids sitting through it and getting their candy bar at the end. So even little little things like that can do a lot to prepare to prepare the kid for the world. So maybe maybe the answer is is we need to find a way to get kids more time um, more time with their parents, you know, more time to do real things. Because right now we have a system where parents are forced to work a lot, and everybody's tired at the end of the day. So nobody nobody really has time for these lessons. So maybe there needs to be a way where we can we can shorten the workday and the school day. You know, maybe if we could cut them all in half and then really spend the time doing life together that would be a huge benefit um a benefit for the kids absolutely and i mean you know so many people have talked and are talking and will talk about this these major changes in society and i'm all a i'm all about the the long game and envisioning these um better futures of people realizing that living well is doing all those things and taking a step back, looking at things and deciding that whatever worked for us in the industrial revolution is not necessarily what, what is fitting to in today's world. Um, so I'm, I'm all with you there. I also think that that's a great um, insight on your part to understand that you know, any little thing that's obvious that we just do, it's just living or it's something boring that we just do is still an opportunity to to learn about the world and to expand our understanding of it by understanding why we're doing things, what for uh, we're doing these things. And it really, uh, it reminds me of that uh, beautiful tweet of yours that I saw the other day. So I don't want to put you on the spot, but uh, do you, do you, can you recite the uh, you wrote like four points about um, what gifting presents and Christmas is like at your house and I really liked it so can you repeat yeah. that yeah it's something that my wife and I talked about when my first son was born because so I come from a family where we don't give many gifts and she comes from a family where it's too many gifts <laughs> um, <laughs> so we wanted to meet somewhere in the middle and we came up with a framework to give our kids four gifts. And it's something you want, something you need, something to give and something to read. And I, I feel like um, it, it's just, it's a good framework because I think you get, you still get fun gifts, but you maybe you get to understand 
like you said, like you understand maybe a little bit more about even what the, what are the holidays about, you know, like the something to give just kind of puts things into perspective and you don't get overwhelmed by just wanting a million gifts because you know, there's only four of them. So yeah, I, I, I like that framework. Hopefully we, we can stick to it. Uh, but yeah, it's exciting. My kid's only two right now, so he doesn't understand it too much, but we're, we're still doing it and you know, it's worked well so far. No, it's, it's, it's really amazing because you know, how many times do we just do the thing? So we'll just give the child a gift. So he shuts up, you know, or, um, we just give him a gift because we love it, but that's, that's where it ends and there's no continuation. And I think I can extend this point to other things in life. You know, how tempting it is for us as parents to just get everything sorted out and out of the way for the child. We think we're doing, uh, we're benefiting them by doing that. And this is uh, pretty much, you know, the beginning of helicopter parenting is just wishing to see everything going smoothly for our kids, which is totally understandable. But what it brings about is this abrupt change between um, childhood and adulthood. So when you're a child, you're just um, learning to that a lot of people are doing things for you and a lot of people are giving you orders that you should follow. But then one day, I don't know, in America, it would probably, when you're out of college, now you're an adult, congratulations. Uh, but actually then you can see that, um, and college is this interesting period, right? Because I don't think it's coincidental that you see a lot of college kids not really they're not children anymore because here uh, some of us can buy alcohol um, and yet they're definitely not adults and are doing very imprudent uh, things a lot of the times, at least as, as it's reflected in American movies. Um, but I know it's the truth in a lot of cases. And then you see people who have not actually been benefited by all this work done for them. So that should be more gradual, and I think that comes from from your point about involving the children, helping them understand about things. You know, if I'm going to ask you say to say thank you and please, well, why? Why is that important? Yeah, that that makes me think of just the classic terms: um, <clears throat> book smart versus street smart. You know, and maybe right now we're at a point where we're overemphasizing book smarts. And we need to just more explicitly teach kids how to be street smart or life smart, you know, like how to really understand how to get through the world. And for me, street smarts are even things like how do you, you know, how do you, how do you meet new people? How do you network with people? How do you even, especially now with social media, how do you conduct yourself online in an appropriate manner? You know, those are, these are things that we just expect kids to pick up and some, some kids do, then they have their, they're considered street smart. But then you have other kids who their parents, you know, they manage, they manage everything for them and, and they let the kids focus only on the book smart side of things. And then they may be unprepared for a lot of life, which is the street smart side of things. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think a lot of the children are probably more aware than us that they now there's their so-called street, uh, their social media site is never going to forget anything that they do. So in that sense, they they are adapting to to different rules of the game but 
Yeah, definitely. I think there's a, a, a lacuna when it comes to conducting yourself also in um, face-to-face interactions and and so on, which, you know, I'm, we're not the first to point out, but it's a, it's a big thing. And yeah, that's, that's an interesting uh, topic to explore. Like what about use of technology in your house? Yeah. It's something that we've been thinking about. It hasn't, it hasn't come up too much. Uh, as of right now, my kid is only interested in watching TV, but you do need to prepare for, I think social media is obviously the biggest one. Like when, when, or maybe a cell phone, like when can a kid get their own cell phone and their own social media? And I, I don't have the answer for that. I think, I think to some degree you need to follow the, the consensus of the crowd like, like say, I'm not sure what age kids are getting phones right now, but let's say it's 10 years old. I don't think you would want your kid to wait till they're 15 years old to get a phone because it might be, they might turn out to be, to be a, a bit ostracized for that decision, but maybe 11 or 12, you know? So I think to some degree you do need to react to what um, just popular culture is saying is appropriate. Uh, and it depends place to place, but yeah, but you also need to you need to impart your own values in there. So there's there's a balance, and it's something I, I haven't I definitely have not figured out yet even how to deal with that. And I I question my my older friends a lot about um, is that something that you guys have been thinking about as well? Yeah, I mean, and it's hard. It's really hard, isn't it? I mean, like you say. So I'm just because me and my wife are both outsiders at heart i don't know we're not so much i think concerned with the with the uh, with the child being ostracized or something like that and like i said she's as it is she's not normal like in a good way to us but but in a real way that's also you can see that you know we see that she has her own taste in people that she really cares about a person's energy or vibe and not their age or the, or the, so she's not necessarily going to hang out with children her age. Um, she's able to hold conversations with 10 year olds or, or even adults. Um, so she's a strange bird in some, to some degree. I, um, I think it's, I have seen the question posed before, like, would you allow your children, um, unlimited screen time or something and my i have my knee-jerk reaction was like of course not that's crazy and i do still i do still stand by it uh, if only for reasons of uh, you need to move like we're still physical we have our biology we need to move it's super important and i don't want to be a couch potato um but again, I think I think the answer for me would be something like you were mentioning before about talking about it with the children. And you know what? Now I think I can state it more explicitly. Like if we have something to learn that maybe our parents' generations and definitely the generations before have to improve is communication with, with children. If you're going to spend more time with children, you need to communicate uh, with them and I don't know. What, what do you think? Are people becoming better communicators or, or worse communicators with time? Uh, I, I think it, it varies. I mean, in some way, we're more connected than ever. 
and in other ways we're we're not dealing too much in face to face which is the normal communication but what you said made me really think of of two key points one is that you know communication with our children and that goes back to um you know treating them like involving them in life you know like <clears throat> letting your kids take part in the serious discussion so if you're if you're thinking about your kids education and your kids use of technology involve them in that conversation and actually like take take what they say with some weight you know maybe you still get the final say as the parent but you know at least involve them in that conversation and seriously consider the things that they have to say i think a lot of times kids are underestimated and you know treated with kitty gloves and that's why they they feel more connected with other kids because they are treated as a serious individual with other kids so i think it would be useful to in important decisions like this, involve your kids and, you know, take what they have to say seriously. And then also just going back again to the, the technology thing is a lot of times when we first give our kids technology, whether it's putting them in front of the TV to watch a movie or giving them the phone to play a game, it's because we say, okay, hold this because I need to go and do something serious and I need to do the adult thing, you know, but instead, you know, just get them involved with the adult thing. You know, maybe it's the dishes that you're like, Hey, I need you to sit over here for 20 minutes because I have to do the dishes. Well, instead spend 40 minutes with them doing the dishes and it makes a big mess and, and stuff like that. And that might help, uh, you know, limit the screen time, build their education and make them feel taken seriously as a person, instead of just thrown aside to do the kid things while the adult stuff happens again. Yeah, that's beautiful because that's that's a point we make at home of like not taking the route of um, optimization of things of just, you know, because as I mentioned before, the easiest thing and you just said is to get the kid out of the way so you can do the thing as efficiently as possible, you know, and correctly. Um, and we have this theory of, you know, if I did that quickly enough, then we would have more uh, leisure or we would have the time to move on to another task or something like that. And with education, it turns out that to um, keep the curiosity and, and like you say, we should be able to suffer some, uh, we, we suffer cleaning a mess. You know, we think it's, it's cleaning a mess, but to the child, that's learning. Um, and also being at peace with the fact that the dishes are going to uh, get done uh, slower and, and not as fast. So I think that's definitely uh, a big thing where we don't need to look for constant optimization and worrying so much about getting them out of the way. I think that's a, that's a great point there you made. Yeah, it seems like the theme, at least in my mind, that I keep coming back to is just you know, get the kids involved with life and treat them like a full person kind of as early as possible. That's, that's kind of a great way to educate people. Um, and maybe the, the rest will fall in place. You know, I, I think a lot of, there is a, there is a place for, for formal education stuff, but then a lot, a lot of it is just living life like day to day. A lot of what we do, and I'm sure a lot of what the people here listening to is not stuff that you learned in school. You know, it's stuff that you learned through, through just living life. Like, how do you get on the Zoom call? You just have to, you didn't let, you, you just learn that by doing it, you know, or, or how do you start your own podcast? Like all of these things are just stuff that you learn through doing. So maybe we need, we just need a lot more of that. Just, just doing, just li actually living life instead of 
you know, training wheels on preparing to one day live life, which doesn't seem to be, to be training kids the right way. Yeah. And it really brings me to a, to a thought about how to achieve what we've discussed before of this position where the child or even us as adults go um, out of our own volition into into a learning process and how enjoyable that is right so for both of us finally going uh, back or going to college with the wish to actually go and study something that interests us and then it also feels easy right and we should consider possibly as a society allow a lot more time for children to grow without these um, hard limits that we put and very structured curricula and let them get interested about things and curious and then have more specialized schools, not ones that they have to commit to at age 10 for the next eight years to study engineering. Like, But maybe, I, maybe they can go for one year, have a very uh, engineering heavy material um, and the environment that really is all about giving them what they're curious about. Um, and then later on, if they're interested in something else, well, go ahead and do that. So why do we even have the concept of, you know, you are in the um, seventh class of the ninth grade this year, and these are the people you're going to spend time with. And this is the one size fits all curriculum that you're going to have. What if you had what if everything was more fluid that you could change between what interests you right now? I mean, ostensibly thinking about it, it would um, it would just create more engaged classes that are there because they want to. And we may not even have to change the number of teachers in that sense. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think maybe it just goes back to convenience in that, you know, it, it might be difficult to shift from the current model to a newer model. And I wonder, like, what are your thoughts on how, how do we get toward, because this does seem to be a, a kind of a conversation of the time that a lot of people are starting to think, you know, what exactly is going on with school, especially with COVID, a lot of parents saw firsthand what their kids are doing at school all day, every day, because they're doing it, you know, over Zoom. And parents started thinking, you know, what, what's going on at school? Why are, why are we teaching our kids this? So I wonder how we go about changing it. Um, if it's, if it's going to be a top down, the government is going to come with a whole new, you know, the government of every country comes with a whole new plan, or if it'll bubble up from the bottom where, you know, like you said, you and, and your family, kind of have a little community doing things one way and then maybe there's another community doing things the other way and it'll bubble up from the bottom. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it, it will definitely be a grassroots thing. Eventually everything is um, usually sadly leaders and governments, they just do what they perceive to be the most popular thing to do at the, at the moment. Um, which which is also good because it allows for for democracy in some sense it has its pros and cons yeah you know i i do dialectic with people uh, so to me it's it's an easy answer dialectic is all about kind of revisiting or not revisiting maybe visiting for the for the first time uh, 
the kind of theoretical model of the world that you have and observing it, seeing whether it's logically put together, which if we don't do dialectics, it, it simply is not because um, we create our concepts as we go through life very haphazardly and it's very biased towards the kind of subjective life that we had. So, for example, my concept of, of love is going to be very different from the concept of love in the mind of a child who grew up in, a, in an abusive household or home. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's through dialectic that we can talk to one another and then eventually do it within our own mind and see what a definition of love could be that sits well with definitions of adjacent or related concepts. Um, But of course, dialectic is not yet widely practiced. And I'm not going to be an extremist and say, well, it's, it's dialectic. But I think a lot is already happening with people questioning a lot of things. When people get to a point where the meaning crisis is a thing, I'm not going to repeat my spiel on it. It's out there if people want to find it. Um, But it's good that people are questioning. The questioning is definitely a good thing. Uh, We just don't want some leader or guru uh, who gives us the answers. No, we should all question together and arrive at uh, a truth through conversation and not by adopting uh, dogmas. Yeah, I I guess maybe so you know, with the the idea of it bubbling up from the bottom, parents need to, you know, need to (laughs) dialectic themselves and really question, you know, do I want to just let my kids go through the system or what, what do I actually think about it? You know, a lot of people just assume you have to default your kid into a public school or a private school, which is just kind of, it's the same exact thing as a public school, maybe just a little bit, um, a little bit more rigorous. But so maybe, you know, the parents need to sit down and have the conversation about what they think is important and seek those out. Because I know that there are, you know, there are people out there trying different models of education. So maybe parents need to be more uh, willing to seek those out for their kids. And everyone's going to have a different idea of what's important to them. So you'll probably, you know, what might work for me and my family might be different from you and yours. But it's probably important that as parents, we, we think about it clearly and seek out those opportunities from our kids instead of just opting them into the the baseline. And maybe as more people start, you know, taking charge and, and putting their kids into, you know, purposely putting their kids in situations instead of just defaulting them into situations, we'll see some, some change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's coming and it's coming also for the reason um, I recorded an episode with Indy Niyogi, which is probably going to be released before this one is out. Um, so people can look for it. And we discussed the future, basically. And we noted that this time is very, very different from any time in history and prehistory, because it really made sense to kind of get this top-down um, commands from elders, because they know how things have done. They have uh, how things have been done in the past. They have experience. And the way they do things is the same way that things have been done for a thousand years before them or even 10,000 years. But today the world is changing so fast that 
just to keep up and be fitting enough so that we survive, right? If to refer to Darwin's um, survival of the fittest, to be fit enough today, we have to be creative. We have to be adaptable. So this is true for us, for you and me, um, you know, uh, maturing in this world. And it's also going to cause us to be more open-minded and like you say, involve our children in the discussions about how things should be done because this might change very rapidly from one generation to the next as it has between uh, boomers and, and Gen Y. Let's see. Uh, let's say we already see big differences and um, there has never been more talk about the intergenerational uh, difference and and tensions to some extent. Um, so I think that might bring it, and I, I really hope that's something we're going to see. Yeah, the, the intergenerational differences you do see, and I'm not sure how it was in the past, but you do see a lot of kind of animosity from you know the younger guys saying, oh, okay, boomers, like you don't you don't get it, you know, and the, yeah. and the older guys saying you don't get it. And, but, and it's one of those things that, you know, I tend to think the kids are right, you know, and I'm, I mean, I'm a millennial, but I think that even, you know, the Gen Z people younger than me, like, they're right. Like, they, they understand where things are heading more than I do. Even though I'm relatively young, I think they, they have a better finger on the pulse. And like, we need to really take the kids seriously. You know, I think we need to really look at what they're doing, trust in their, trust in their opinions and and kind of go with it because the world is, is changing quickly, you know, <laughs> like what worked before is not going to keep working. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that um, one thing you can see is, for example, the great resignation now, right? People don't want to do a nine to five anymore. They, they just don't. And this is setting the stage for a future that's not going to be about that because it seems like there's a critical mass of people who say that's not what we want for ourselves. And sure, they'll have to find solutions to make it work in terms of, of government, of policies and all that. But that may be a step in the direction of looking at life from a perspective that is beyond just surviving. You know, yeah, yeah. I think that maybe that also the great resignation will be another catalyst to having parents, you know, be more pur purposeful about education because you know maybe if more people are working at home, you do have more time at home with your kids and you can really start getting involved with them. Whereas before, you had a one-hour commute each way and you had to work your nine to five and you did your lunch on your own. Maybe you do have more time now to to slow things down and, and get involved with your kids. And maybe you do have more freedom to drive them to a specific school instead of just giving them to the school that's, that's right next to you. So, and I think that also with that, the great resignation, like people will understand that, okay, the skill set that I need to maybe break out on my own, break out from my old school, big company is a very different skill set from what traditional schools are teaching, you know, and then they'll want to make sure that their kids are prepared to, to live the life that, that they've, you know, maybe purposefully chosen for themselves at this point. Absolutely. And it all connects to something which has been on my mind for, for a while during this conversation, but I waited with the punchline for a bit, but you know, it, it all relates to a big shift from trying to survive, which is what our species has been doing for many millennia 
um, and making the shift into uh, an age where we care about well-being and where we understand that our own well-being or individual well-being is dependent on that of others. So it's, I think, naturally going to take the, um, the path of involving more people in our lives, opening up again, hopefully, um, being more generous with resources, not hogging so much or hoarding. Um, and I think this is going to extend and and keep happening. That's that's the way I see it. That's the way I, I hope for the human species that this is what is going on. So education is is just one facet of that where I think the, the, the rigid systems are going to open up. It's going to be one of many rigid systems that are going to open up like work, um, like uh, possibly, I don't know. Where you live even, you know, like maybe people will be moving around more often because they're not, you know, they're working remotely, different, different stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Geographically, for sure. I mean, it might undermine uh, the notion of, of state, of, of nations, you know, or of, of countries, at least for sure. It's, it's very fascinating to, to see where, where that will happen and to more specifically discuss education. Like you say, we, it's up to us to now raise people who are not as specialized technically perhaps, but are a lot more specialized in the domain of, for example, knowing themselves, whether it's emotionally or, um, or yeah, in terms of having explicit thoughts about what, is, what matters in this life through dialectic and things like that. So um, it's definitely very interesting for me to see where this is going. Yeah, yeah, as, this, as the systems, I guess, are getting more fragmented all over the place, you do need to, you know, the creativity and the softer skills are becoming much more important, like you said, than the than the technical skills. Because before, you definitely needed, if you wanted to be successful, you had to be extremely technically proficient in probably a very narrow realm of knowledge, too. And now to be successful, it's almost the opposite. You know, you need to just be very adaptable and very creative in whatever situation life might throw at you. Yeah, and you know, for the longest time, we admire people who have kind of hit the jackpot and were able to continue their the the kind to go down the path where their curiosity led them uh, since childhood. So, be it artists that we all know, um, athletes who truly enjoy what they do, and stuff like that. Look at how our society adores and admires these people. Um, and it's quite a tragedy that for, you know, 99% of us, this isn't an option. Well, actually, the curiosity has been beaten out of us by the time uh, we go out there in the world. So that connects back to that as well. It's up to us to create a system where more people are doing what they genuinely um, like doing and are I don't want to say compensated because that's an ugly word, but I reward it for just being good people. And this uh, goodness of people is not going to be judged based on the amount of money they make. That's not where their status is going to come from in society, but from what kind of people they are. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's definitely true. Um, yeah, think, think, things are changing. Things are changing fast. So it's an, it's an exciting time, though, to be a part of it, to be able to think through it. And I think that we really are, you know, at the frontier of, uh, of this whole new movement in, in a lot of different, different realms. I'll, I guess also, like you said, with, you know, maybe creativity being taken out of people is a, a lot of people might be at the point where they don't know exactly what they want to do. And it's a problem that everybody is dealing with all the time. So maybe that's something that we need to be more explicit about too, is like teaching kids about what they enjoy and like letting them really think about what, what is it about this activity or that activity that I like? And what is it that I don't like? Um, And maybe the more explicit we are about teaching that, I could, a lot of times I think that that's just, it's kind of a secondary lesson. Like you might just pick it up along the way, but maybe we need to be more explicit about teaching that as, as things are kind of getting more fragmented, as people are taking more control, more risks in their life. We need to prepare them to, to know which direction to take it, you know, to make sure you're, you're building your road or you're putting your ladder on the right wall, you're building your road in the right direction, whatever it may be. Yeah, definitely. I see a lot of um, a lot of wisdom in something that uh, me and my wife came across recently. Um, so she's been studying uh, somatic experiencing and other techniques that are used to help people get over anxiety, sometimes PTSD, things like that. And it involves a lot of embodiment. So really getting to know yourself in terms of the sensations in your body, be a lot more in touch with your emotions. Uh, PTSD is notoriously hard to treat with anything. So now there are some, um, so it's probably going to be treated with um, MDMA assisted psychotherapy. That's probably going to be a, a, a real thing in the next two years. And a lot is out there on that in on Tim Ferriss's show and other places and that is another thing that i see is coming more and more into the picture is is embodiment is going back into our bodies and uh not thinking that everything can be solved with with words and with the mind and i definitely see that as another venue that's picking up speed today and it's something that i'm also trying to um, work on with with my daughter so a lot of the times I feel like we would be the ones telling our children what they're feeling it was like I can see you're angry I can see you're happy I can see you're disappointed um, if we're not careful we might label it for them we might mislabel it when actually emotion is really this spectrum where you and I have never felt the same emotion in ourselves twice because it's 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 not it's just not uh of course it makes sense to categorize and call things names but we also have to understand that it's it's such a wide space and again having conversations that are more dialectic in nature what are you feeling where are you feeling this in your body is it a lot like this thing that you've felt yesterday or is it very different you know not jump into the naming process and um again this top-down approach of labeling things 
for our children so much. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I think it goes back to two things that we talked about earlier that one is just to take your kids seriously. You know, like you don't, you don't need to treat them as like a secondary person and step in and label their feeling for them and solve it for them. Like they maybe not initially, but given a few rounds of practice, like they will be able to label their feelings correctly. And um, yeah, so, so we need to believe, and it's just like, we don't, we don't need school for that teaching moment to happen. You know, that, that teaching moment can happen when you're doing the dishes with your kid and they get frustrated because they spill the water and then you can stop. And so everyday things really do present the opportunity to, to teach our kids I guess, yeah, parents, parents, we need to, we need to take our responsibility very seriously is maybe the kind of the response, the, the thought I'm coming to is that we might, we sometimes underestimate our role in educating our kids, you know, like how really important it is and how important the small moments in life are. The moments that we might overlook are really learning opportunities that we should be trying to take advantage of. For sure. And it's, whether we like it or not, we're going to be hit with more uncertainty than past generations were used to. And I'm really happy that, you know, obviously you and I here are able to recognize that the change needs to, to begin with us. But I do think it's, it's a wide movement of people understanding it. Um, and I just wish that more people would see that it's up to us to, to break old habits that are not fitting anymore. They used to be. They used to be in the 1800s. I'm sure they were good. Maybe throughout most of the 20th century, it made sense to get a career um, because the the precipice that people were standing on was such that if they made a small mistake, they really could lose their house and their livelihood or end up on the street. Uh, we live in a society of abundance, and I think it's it's fitting that we understand it and take more time to work on ourselves, whether it's through dialectic or any sort of embodied work, um, to get to know ourselves better and then be better facilitators for our children to, um, to know themselves better. I think that's a, definitely a motif that we're looking at is that we need to be people who know themselves better. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that means really being able to stand on your convictions. You know, if you do have an opinion you feel strong about, like I, I have heard a lot of people speaking about how they feel about schools. Well, I guess have the conviction to do something about it, you know, like have the conviction to be the one out of 1000 people who puts your kid in a different school or starts treating, you know, starts treating your kid seriously, starts doing the, did you say, I forget, somatic somatic um, experiencing yeah well, right. this, so, this is usually a therapy for people but yeah it's yeah but, but so but, start like you know talking to your kids seriously about how do you feel like yeah. you know different stuff like that because a lot of people i think in theory would agree that these are important and i believe in this but we have to have the the ability to to do it we have to really step up and it's it's scary because you're like you know what if i just do things the normal way, it's going to turn out pretty good for my kid because they'll at least be normal, you know? So it's scary to kind of stand on your convictions and say, I'm going to do things completely differently, actually, because I believe it's better. But I think that we're at a point in time that we all do need to do that. Just really stand on what you believe and try to pass that down to your kids. Yeah. And, you know, normal, 
normal could be good. It's not normal. It's just whatever the case is for, for most of the people around you, right? But I think, I do think that unfortunately we're not at the point where normal means um, widespread well-being across society. That's not where we are. And if we turn our attention to that problem, a lot of good can come out of it. And uh, that's that's what it is. If you do dialectic and you get to the point where you realize well-being is really should be um, what you're what you're striving at, what you're aiming your actions at, um, you get a sense that hey, if I'm being honest with myself and I see here is one path to well-being that's less so- socially acceptable. I still, you know, that would make absolutely no sense not to take it. And in mm-hmm. fact, even the most stubborn people, um, well, the most stubborn people are not going to have this dialogue, so they don't really want to find out. But people who are open to the possibility, who see um, the right path to take, uh, will take the path. Otherwise, they won't be able to live with themselves. So. Yeah, it, it reminds me of, you know, we have a lot of data about people on their deathbeds. What are their biggest regrets in life? And we don't do anything about it. You know, like we know what people regret, but then we don't like explicitly teach our kids like, hey, make sure to avoid these few things. You know, like we know that these are widespread problems. Um, the, and a lot of it is just caring too much about your job, not spending enough time with your friends and family. But we we don't make a point to to pass that down. And like you said, that's the purpose to live, to live a more fulfilled life. Like that's what education should be for, you know, to prepare you for the world, to prepare you to live a life that you personally think is fulfilling. And, you know, we, we know a lot of ways to do this, but we just, we, I think it's, maybe it's just more difficult and more, the, the waters are a bit muddied on how to, to get there. So we just, you know, opt into what's easier, but we need to stand up and, and kind of wade through those muddy waters and, and be willing to address those difficult problems and slow things down, do the dishes slower, go to the grocery store slower, just to make sure that our kids and even ourselves are prepared to, to live a life that we find fulfillment in. Yeah, amen. And I think that's going to happen one conversation at a at time, which is what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I love your point about uh, Bronnie Ware's Seven Regrets of the Dying. It's it's high on my recommendation list for any human alive. So I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. She compiled a list of common things that people in hospices are regretting. And the thing about it is that they have to be candid at that point. You know, they're not bullshitting, right? Mm-hmm. They're all all veils have been lifted at that point. There, there are no masks, no personas. It's just people telling you what's real. They have nothing to lose anymore. And like you, I am amazed that people uh, can read that and still go on with things as, as they were before. So I'll definitely link that. And I think that's, that is where we're going, hopefully, because that really shows that there is more to life than living. You can live um, without ever being well or doing well. Um, Yeah, that's lovely. And 
I'm really happy. There seems to be a, a, a motif lately where my conversations are optimistic. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, yeah, optimism is the only way, I think. Life is moving forward regardless of how you feel like it. So I'm a, I'm a big time optimist. And I, like, I think that we're so lucky to be alive in a time that we can have this conversation. And really, because if 50 years ago, we, we might have been able to think about this, but we probably couldn't have done anything about it for our family and our kids. But now we actually can, you know, not only can we think about it, but we can try to do something about it. So I'm very optimistic about the future and, and just the power of the individual right now. I think a lot of people, if they ask themselves the right questions and are willing to take action, you can, you can change your life in amazing ways. Absolutely. And I love this message. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Tesho, for this conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, would you like to um, share any, uh, a Twitter handle or a website or something you're working on or where people can hear more from you? You're welcome. Yeah. To. Um, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm just Tesho13, T-E-S-H-O 13. And um, Every Tuesday, I've been just doing a Tuesdays with Tesho, just kind of informal Twitter spaces. So if anybody wants to just come on and talk to me, ask me whatever you want, I, I would love to have you. Um, and yeah, I, I really enjoy this podcast. I've been listening to all your episodes. Just they, they, they keep getting better. So it's cool to follow you along with your journey as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I just wish my name could produce something as catchy as Tuesdays with Tesho. <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> yeah, that was given to me by someone else. Someone else suggested it. So I can't even take credit for coming up with that. Ooh, man, it sounds good. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to attending one. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, till next time. Till next time. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you.